Our Old Testament reading this morning um, is set at a time when uh, the people of God were surrounded by a bunch of nations who tended to be um, ambivalent at best and hostile at worst to them. And yet, they had uh, God as their leader and their provider looking out for them, fighting their battles for them. And yet, that was not enough for the people. They wanted more. Our reading comes from 1 Samuel verse eight, chapter 8, beginning at verse 4 and continuing through verse 20. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, And said to him, look, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. Will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage, and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants." And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading for this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Beginning at verse 13 and continuing through verse 18. Again, I invite you to listen. For a word from the Lord as it is there written, but just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, 
may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Do not be dismayed. Let not your hearts be troubled, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. This is our Father's world, and we are His children, so always remember. Though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Such was the encouragement that Paul was sending out to the church in Corinth, which must have, in the apostles' estimation, needed some words of comfort. They were likely encountering some challenges in their life together. Challenges of competing doctrines, challenges of unity, challenges of disparagement, ostracization, even persecution. In the many long years since then, certainly in this regard, the Christian community has retained many similarities to our ancestors in the faith, both here in the Middle East and elsewhere across the globe. And so, dear church, we find ourselves on this first Sunday in June in the year of our Lord 2021 facing an array of obstacles to living more fully out our faith. Many of these are self-imposed, to be sure. Others come from without But when the going gets tough, as they say, the tough take heart. Well, at least that's what they say in Scripture. I recently heard a a brief reflection on the Beatitudes in which the observer noted that many of the people in the groups that Jesus is describing here, saying, blessed are they, they don't necessarily look very blessed in the eyes of the world. Perhaps the suggestion was made that those who are facing difficult situations are the ones most likely to look toward and to trust in God. And so, therefore, they are the ones who are truly blessed. They are most keenly aware, like Paul, that we have an outer nature, though it may not be in the best way. This is a temporary affliction that too shall pass. Eighty years ago, this Tuesday, the 8th day of June, 1941, C.S. Lewis, at the invitation of Canon T.R. Milford of the Oxford University Church of St. Mary the Virgin, delivered the sermon at the Evensong service 
a sermon which he entitled The Weight of Glory. It was reported to have been delivered to one of the largest congregations ever to have assembled in that facility in modern times. Perhaps it was in part on account of the notoriety of the guest in the pulpit that night. In part, it might have been on account of the timing of the address as the forces of the British Empire were isolated and alone at that time, the only people fighting to protect the free world from the reign of the Nazis. And the struggle had already taken a devastating toll on the people. And right into the midst of this turmoil and despair comes this voice of hope. Not a Churchill-like hope in victory and in the present at all costs, but a hope that looked both backwards and forwards to long before the current conflagration and to well after VE and VJ Day, Lewis's reflection on the divine self-revelation in Scripture reminded his audience of the transcendence of both God and those who have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit we referenced last Sunday. One of the great gifts of the faith, as Lewis saw it, was a real realization which Paul often conveyed from his own experience. Following his conversion, the apostle went from the persecutor of Christians to one of the persecuted Christians himself. As hard as his new life was for him, in so many ways, it was so far superior to his former existence for he knew now with complete and total certainty the one who makes all things new. Whereas before he had seen the perfection of the law as the way to know the beauty of God, now he understood the limitations of the law to achieve that end. The law had served as a divine guardian, but it was never intended to be the end, but rather a means of pointing to directing shepherding people to the end. There was, Lewis thought, a corollary in the European post-enlightenment experience. He addressed this by saying the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them it only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. So I believe it came to be for Paul with the law, and so it was for those who were engaged in a sequel to the war to end all wars. So it was to those adherents of the evolutionary myth of human progress, of social Darwinism, which maintained that mankind would continue to improve over time until we had finally managed to construct a utopian society for all people, forging the real heaven in the here and the now. 
And on the other side of the coin to those who saw a fascist or a Marxist dictator as the hope for uniting humanity into one world order that would treat people fairly and equitably, though some, of course, would be treated more equal than others. And that's remarkably similar to the place where the children of Israel found themselves in the time of Samuel. They were unhappy. They longed to be better than what they perceived themselves to be. They were worried about what would come next after Samuel. So they looked around at existing models offered, offered, on offer to them. And they decided to emulate these nations around them. If only they thought we could be more like them. Then we'd be fat and happy. God already had a plan, a very special plan for his chosen people. But they wanted to make their own plan a better one. One that was based on the structures, the ways, and the means of their fellow man. It would start with a good king. Uh, despite the pleas to remain united under the rule of God, they elected instead to install, to obey, and to idolize their own leaders after the manner of the rest of the world, thus embarking on yet another exodus, a wandering through generations in the wilderness of relatively competent and wildly incompetent human kings. Lewis summarized a similar aspect of the human condition he saw at hand thousands of years later. We are, he proclaimed half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Whether it be with a king or an idol, a drug or a carnal desire, we are more than happy just to settle. To settle for so far less than what God wants and desires for us. The infinite joy of which Lewis speaks doesn't come as a result of our achieving our financial goals or our professional goals or our relationship goals or our weight loss goals, none of which are bad, but all of which provide only a shallow, temporary, fleeting sense of euphoria. By contrast, the joy which we were created to experience in covenant relationship with our maker is achieved as we seek to know and to please our Heavenly Father. And that process is not without its struggles. But this is just what Paul is counseling the Corinthians. And providentially, as it happens in this morning's Sunday School lesson, a very similar idea was proposed. There was a quote we were exposed to by uh, an author and an academic by the name of David Myers, who wrote, we spend much more but have less. We buy more, 
but enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families. More conveniences, but less time. More medicine, but less wellness. We read too little, watch TV too much, and pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. These are the days of two incomes, but more divorce. Of fancier houses, but broken homes. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, but not life to years. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted the soul. We settle for so much less. My brothers and sisters, we find ourselves inconvenienced in so many ways for the sake of the gospel. And yet, as we are reminded by Paul, hold fast. Yes, hard times have befallen followers of the way of Christ. And yes, hard times will inevitably continue to befall followers of the way of Christ. Toward the end of his now famous sermon, Lewis said that to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in the work or a father in a son, it seems impossible. A weight of burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so, he says, it is And he added, apparently then, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something, with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen only from the outside, is no neurotic fancy but the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all our merits and also the healing of that old ache. That, indeed, is the weight of glory. It is a weight that surpassed all the weights of this world, all the demands placed on us, from without and all the desires from within. So we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. In Christ, we have a hope that the world does not, and we are obliged to share this hope, like the psalmist who wrote, I believed and so I spoke. This hope is what enables us to endure because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.